Gratitude That's my everyday Have you ever looked up at the stars and just wondered what it all means? Asking yourself, how did we get here and where are we going? When I look out into the world, I see so many people getting lost in their stories, rarely thinking about or asking the bigger, unanswerable questions of the universe. Like what's the purpose of life? How did we come to be? And what happens when we die? This is pretty much all I think about. So I decided to start asking others what they thought as well. So grab a cup of coffee, open your mind, and enjoy the conversation. The third way that I really love is life happens through me. Mm. And it's a completely different reframe on it because it it completely takes the victimhood out of it whatsoever. I think in the life happens for me, there's still a little, a little bit. It's way, way, way less than like, oh, this is bullshit, man. Like I can't get a break. Like I'm just, what, what's happening right now? Like, why is all this stuff being thrown at me? And, you know, taking ownership of that is incredible. But I think if you really connected to like why you're here and what's going on in your life, there's no more of that. It's like, of course this is happening for me. Like, of course, this is all these things are coming in and this is a, this is a challenge and this is a revelation and this is, you know, growth and healing and all this stuff comes to you. And if you're really walking that path, like that true path for yourself, I find that all that stuff just becomes this like effortless dance. That was Wyatt Haggerty, this week's guest on Quantum Coffee. A really amazing conversation. I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to sit down with him. He is uh, younger than I thought. I think he said he's 26 or 27 um, because he's a really, really wise soul. Um, He's very creative. He uh, is actually working on a promo video for the Heart Collective, my community I'm building for former male professional athletes. It's going to be up on the website probably by the time this podcast airs. And I'm really stoked for you guys to check it out. But that was definitely the work of Wyatt. He's a amazing musician who's uh, got a very creative mind uh, and some of his music's really uh, heavy. I don't know what would it classify it as. Like, I think it's like EDM style uh, with a lot of drops, very unique style music. Um, and he is, uh, he's, he's working towards doing big things in the world. And um, this conversation was really incredible. Uh, we talk a lot about different concepts. And I know you guys are going to enjoy them. Uh, if you do like this podcast, please uh, just take a few seconds to rate it leave a review and share it with your friends. It will go a long way in helping me grow my audience uh, and get these conversations out to those that uh, need to hear them. Um, Really the intention behind this podcast is really to normalize the experience of life and understanding that we don't really know anything. And uh, to explore these questions is a beautiful gift that we've been given to have. And I think uh, attaching to ideologies and belief systems is really what creates a lot of division in our world. So I'm on a mission to help break down those walls and I need your help by sharing this podcast and leaving a review would go a long way. I really appreciate it. And I'm going to do a couple plugs here. First, my wife, beautiful wife, Sarah, who's been on this podcast a couple of times is launching her new tech platform and it is for fully remote working uh, job placement. And it's called growmotely.com, growmotely.com. 
If you are a remote professional or maybe you lost your job during this crazy pandemic and you're looking for work, go check it out. Sign up um, and you can you know, find a job uh, and work from home like me and her do. And it's really amazing. And um, if you are a medium to small size business looking for employment, you decided to go fully remote or you're just looking to expand your team, uh, this is the place to go. Growmotely.com. She is an amazing entrepreneur. It's aesthetically pleasing. The branding is amazing. And she is just going to continue to grow this thing. And I'm really stoked about uh, being on this journey with her. So go support her. Go support yourself. And uh, what's another plug? Oh, what I'm working on, theheartcollective.com. Go to uh, the Heart Collective. That's H-A-R-T collective.com. If you are a former male professional athlete looking for community, uh, the intention behind that is really to bring these warriors, these heroes, these leaders of our society and our culture together and know that just because their sport's over and they're done playing doesn't mean that their mission and purpose in life is over. It's time for us to come together and really work towards a brighter vision of the future and pool our resources, expand our network. And I'm really stoked about where this is headed. Uh, launched it a couple months ago and is continuing to grow. And if you are interested, you can go learn more at theheartcollective.com and why its video will probably be up there. And you can check that out. Uh, reach out to me directly or apply online. I look forward to hearing from you. And without further ado, enjoy this episode with Wyatt, my man. Wyatt, what's up, brother? How you doing? I'm doing so good. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Of course. Diving into the unanswerable questions of the universe. My favorite. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's why I'm excited to have you on. And and this is going to be a really cool conversation. Um, but let's give the listeners a little background on who you are and maybe how we met and what you're doing in the world now. Okay. Um, <clears throat> this current meat suit is uh, 26 years of age. I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, small suburb outside of there. So I'm a, a good old Midwestern East Coast, good corn fed boy, you know. And uh, currently, I mean, my path has gone in so many different directions. And, you know, at one point I thought I was going to be in the NBA. I was playing Division One basketball. And then at another point, I thought I was going to be a a Hollywood film director and life just continues to kind of take me closer and closer to what the the truth of that is. And, you know, I surrender to whatever wants to come through me. And the current thing that wants to come through me was actually something I discovered during our lockdown, our, uh, our mandatory, our government mandated house arrest. Yeah. It's very cute to call it quarantine. Um, but yeah, and that current thing is music and that's the thing that's really calling to me. That right just now. came up during quarantine, huh? Yeah. Wow. And it's been, were you and, involved in music before? Yeah. Like I, I played drums in a band in high school and, you know, music, of course I can paint the story in this really interesting way in hindsight, but like music uh, movies and video games were like the first thing that like really just like lit me up. Like my, my altar, uh, as a child, like as a young child was this pretty, I mean, now archaic because it was back in the nineties, uh, media setup that we had in the living room mm. and it had this 
um, stereo. And my parents had this incredible collection of CDs and they, my mom a little bit, but like my, they don't really like strike you when you talk to them as like music people, you know, yet they had all this stuff. And then you went, we had our TV with the VHSs and stuff like that. And then, you know, early video game systems and their catalog of music was incredible. And I remember like, I wouldn't ask, but they would put stuff on and I would just sit in the living room and like, listen to it. And I didn't like immediately gravitate towards any artist in particular, but like that was a formative experience was being like, and actually one of the most formative experiences that I do clearly remember, remember it like really striking a chord was I would just pick up the albums and look at the art and the names of the Mm. albums. And I remember like Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell was like one of them. That was one of my dad's favorite albums. And my mom's, one of her favorites was from a band called Yes, which was like a psychedelic rock band from back in the seventies. And I remember like looking at them and just being fascinated by the art and like the presence that these, these people were putting out there. Cause it was so weird. Like you're exposed, especially as like a preschooler, you're exposed to like pretty basic, you know, almost, uh, you know, like American indoctrination kind of stuff. Mm, like it's, you the, do the, the subliminal advertising. Yeah. And you do like the pledge of allegiance and you watch like this goofy kind of bland, kids show. And then there was this crazy portal into like the most wild parts of our imagination with these albums. And, and I remember that and then specific movies, like just always striking a chord. So it was no accident that I ended up becoming a filmmaker and a music producer. Like it just makes sense that I was called to that, especially if that is, you know, the, the tree that the acorn wants to be within me. Yeah. The, isn't know. it interesting? Like the, like, I feel like everybody has that kind of thing when, when you're younger, you're like exposed to these things that your soul is like kind of a, a, like attaching to, or like kind of being exposed to at a younger age. And how, when we look back on our childhood, it's like, we see it from a different lens. We're like, Oh, maybe this was always a part of my journey because I was exposed to it. Like you're saying mm-hmm. with the music. Um, let's talk about your journey through athletics. Cause you know, I'm sitting in front of a, very large man. How tall are you? Six seven. Six. I'm gonna say a little shy. Six ten. Oh geez. Yeah, yeah. Six ten. Yeah. So you're a big boy. Uh-huh. So you, I, you shared this with me before about uh, your journey with basketball, and uh-huh. because of your size, a lot of people are like, "Oh, it's like look at your talent. You have a really good build for how tall you are." How was your basketball journey, and how did that evolve when you realized? you know, this is not what I'm supposed to do. Maybe it's what other people think I should be doing because of, you yeah. know, they look at me and think that, but mm-hmm. it's not what I'm called to do. It ties perfectly into talking about music because that was essentially the battle that I was in in high school. And um, music lost to basketball for quite a few years. And throughout my entire basketball career, it was like my refuge in a way. And so my freshman year, I was in a band, I played drums and the rest of the band, they were all seniors. So, um, I had the luxury of having legitimate experienced, like talented musicians with them being a lot older than I was. And I could just play the drums really loudly and consistently. So we got, we got along and that was like the deep calling at that time. Like that was like, all I wanted to do was play the drums and play with and be with my band. Like that was, that was it. And, uh, so basketball was this reluctant 
thing that everyone told me I should do because of how tall I was. Mm. And I'm the kind of person that like, if I want, if I want something, it, I either have it or I become excellent at it. Like, that's just, it's, it's very easy for me to see what I'm not actually supposed to do based on if I suck at it after trying for so many months, like if I'm still bad and not making any, any improvement, then that's, that's not the way, mm-hmm. you know? And there's been a couple of things that have popped up like that and playing the drums and producing music was like an instant, like, holy shit, there's something here. Like, of course there's a lot of work, you know, there's a lot of learning, but mm-hmm. it was like an instant, there's something here. Um, basketball was the same way, but there came a point where it became a um, kind of a, a struggle to like really be motivated to do it because I knew there were these other things calling me that were so much more fulfilling. And, uh, so as a freshman, I was, I think about six, four and I was overweight. Like I was pretty soft. And then all of a sudden I just got like thin and grew muscles and grew like six inches in this very short period of time and girls started paying attention to me and the coaches started paying attention to me. Like they knew that I had some potential, but all of a sudden it was like, holy shit, this is a division one prospect. And mm. so that story got in my head and I chose the path of hanging out with the cheerleaders and getting praise from the father figures in my life with teachers and coaches and my dad and stuff and having like that thing um, became the focus of my life. And, uh, yeah, eventually got recruited to play, uh, division one. And, um, throughout that time in college, I started smoking a ton of weed. And that was kind of like another escapism thing to get Mm. away from the fact that like a part of me knew that basketball was not the way it never was the way. And, um, a part of it was really to dive as deeply as I could into the, into the not my path, you know, in order to see that nothing in that arena was my way. And, um, when did you figure that out? Was it like a slow process? Oh no, it was a super sudden, like, holy shit, this is not, this is not what I want to do kind of moment. Um, but I would, I mean, I would spend all my free time just getting high as shit and producing music on my laptop in my dorm room. And like, I'd put it out on SoundCloud and post about it on Facebook and everyone just made fun of me. They were just like, you, you suck. Like you're not, but there was some, there was something there that I was trying to reach at and I I couldn't really figure out what it was. Um, but no, the, the moment that I knew that it wasn't for me was I did mushrooms for the first time and I just felt so much love for the world that I had not felt before. And I felt so much like, fascination and awe. And I just wanted to be a part of people that like loved me for who I was. And that kind of gets into how you and I met, you know, with how we would be called to fit for service in the future. But it was this, it was the sprouting of a seed that I was already aware of. Um, throughout my freshman year, I was like, this fucking sucks. Like this is a a full-time job, let alone going to a school that's as difficult and, um, prestigious as an Ivy league school is a what place school is that? Colgate university. Colgate. Wow. Yeah. So it's in upstate New York and it's a small school, but very highly regarded. Like in fact, ranked higher than a lot of Ivy league schools when it comes to education. And then it's a full D one program. So it's a lot to 
a lot to um, juggle at the time. Huh? Yeah, especially yeah. as an 18 year old that like didn't really choose it for themselves. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you're kind of talked into it in a lot of ways because you don't know. Yeah. And and that's to no fault of like everyone thought that was what was best for me. You know, so they're just like, hey man, you can do this. Like you could you can go to college. Excuse me. You can go to college for free, and then you could eventually be paid money to put a ball through a hoop. Like that's pretty exceptional. Like no one else, there's not many people in the world that can do that. Like in fact, in the whole NBA, there's only like 480 players. Mm. There's not that many in the, all the whole, like if you took 15 players and I think there's 30 or 32 teams, that's 450 or 480 guys. It's a pretty select group, you know, and the NFL is like that too. What is it like 50 or 60 a team? Yeah, I think there's 63. There's 53 active guys. There's, there's only like a like a thousand or something players. Exactly, a thousand. Yeah, at any given time, active players. That's pretty pretty select group. Yeah, and so it feels cool because you know we do live in a hierarchical world in a lot of ways, and our monkey mind, our lizard brain, is like, oh, well, that's how I can be safe and be taken care of is for be somebody. Exactly. And, and the world's putting this pressure on you because, and they're starting to create this story of like, this is what's best for you. Like, it'd be silly not to go pursue this. Like you got the build and like all that mm -hmm. pressure. How did you deal with all of a sudden discovering, well, is this what I want to do? Yeah. So, um, it definitely was a lot of insecurity and, um, doubt in my ability to actually do it. And so the defense of that came through in um, being very defiant and like just slowly, like the way that I started my collegiate career was by getting shit faced and missing an open gym that they said was optional, but I didn't get the subliminal messaging that it wasn't. You better actually. be there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, that was like the second or third day I was there. And that was... And of course I took no ownership for it. Like I mm. felt bad and everyone was like, dude, that's fucked up. You can't do that. And I was like, well, fuck you. Like, mm. what are you talking about? And um, that just got more and more extreme where it was like, I'm not going to follow your rules. I'm not going to do this. And there would be moments where I would feel like, okay, my behavior is, you know, not contributing to the betterment of this group that I'm a part of. And these guys, you know, despite their flaws, really care about me and they want me to be a part of this. Like I'm, they want the whole unit, no matter who you are to do well, mm. you know? So if there's a part of the unit that's like suffering and hates it and is making their life harder, they want to fix that. So, um, you know, that was me just being like very thick scald and not getting with the program. And, you know, like, I knew before I had that mushroom experience that I didn't want to play anymore. And I told my coach, I was like, I'm pretty sure that I'm finished with this. Like, I'm pretty certain this, this isn't my path. And he, he was a great, great dude. Like I have a lot of respect for our head coach. And he, he said, why don't you take a week off and then you have spring breaks, you get another week off. And then when you get back, take one more. So you have three weeks go do some soul searching, go, you know, figure out if this is really right for you. Like you don't have to come to any of the open gyms or the um, pickup and all the stuff we were doing during the off season. Like just go do your thing. And uh, that 
I had already planned to do mushrooms with my friends during spring break. We rented a cabin and that was like the plan from the beginning for, you know, for months, but it was perfectly aligned for me to have that moment. And I go do that, have this incredible experience and have so much inspiration, like so much love for life. Like it was like everything I had known just turned turned inside out. Like I could actually see things for what they were and see myself and was like, oh my God, like this is, this is fucking incredible. And then somehow that motivation and inspiration and that love for life got turned towards basketball. And it was like this weird reversal that I don't know, somehow felt right. And I like denied that call because my plan was to uh, transfer schools and go somewhere on the West coast, whether that was Oregon or Santa Barbara or, you know, somewhere like really exciting. Like it was a real hero's journey and like what a, a privilege that I would have to go do that. And like, you know, I wanted to be like a musician and like connect with people and be, you know, be connected with more like down to earth people, you know, cause I felt like there was a lot of ego and like, uh, and like disagreement and like these superficial things that just felt so stupid to me, um, in the sphere of basketball, like all these ways that I had to behave and present myself and what I had to do. And it was, it was tough to convince me, I guess, to believe in that. Cause I wasn't really invested from the beginning. And, um, so I refused that call to go live this whimsical wanderlust life and directed it back towards basketball. And I got really, really good. Mm. But the interesting thing about that was like the amount of the more progress I made um, with basketball, the more my body broke down and the mm. more my body started to rebel against it. And I started getting like really sick and it would come and go in these like ebbs and flows. And I was like, okay, it's just something with my diet or it's, you know, sleep or I'm stressed out or like, ah, I don't know what's going on. And then eventually it put me in the hospital. And that was like the big wake up call of like, okay, something is wrong. Cause this doesn't just happen. Like the human body isn't this faulty organism that just dies out of nowhere. You know mm. what I mean? Like there's a, a process and there's some, you know, root cause of what's happening within you. And, uh, it, you know, eventually that was in my, uh, sophomore year by that time, that it really hit me and I like lost all of the progress that I made. Um, I hadn't been going to class cause I was just sick, just in my dorm room all the time and couldn't, I was just like a shell of myself and I couldn't show up for my friends. And like, all I did was escape. Like I just continued to get high and play video games in my room and like fuck around with things. And it was extremely unhealthy, you know? And I, eventually had like a really, you know, disturbing kind of dark night of the soul moment where I considered killing myself. And like, it was, you know, all these things kind of came to a head and I went as far as getting in my car and getting a box cutter and a bottle of aspirin. And I was going to drive to a hotel and get in the bathtub and kill myself there. And as I'm driving, I hit a rabbit at like two in the morning in this like dark winter upstate New York country highway. And I, I killed this rabbit with my car and it stopped me like dead in the road. Like I just slammed on the brakes and I started sobbing and was like, wow, I, 
I cared about that rabbit. Like I'm alive. I care about myself. Like what the fuck, like what is, what is going on? And you know, that just like sparked this, you know, like, holy shit, something's like really wrong here. Like I'm in the, I'm either in the wrong place or, you know, my body is like, it seems now in hindsight that my body was rejecting that I hadn't chosen anything. Hmm. Like, I think I would have been potentially rewarded, um, for like really choosing basketball and like fully letting go of the other story. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cause like you can go, but like, you weren't all in on that thing and you're kind no, of the intelligence no of your body knew it. Exactly. Yeah. And knew that if I did continue to go that route, it would have been so much more time before I found where I am today, mm-hmm. you know? So it was almost like perfectly guided in, in a lot of ways where, you know, I ended up with this, you know, like perfect opportunity to reinvent myself and see what I'm really, really about. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of kind of how it happened. Yeah, man, that's interesting. I really appreciate you sharing that that vulnerable story of, of course, you know, wanting to take your own life and it's, you know, going down the path that we're not really called to, right? But the lessons that that provides and it kind of brings us back. And you you said that you had this this kind of this, this oak tree that wants to be expressed through you mm-hmm. and you've always had this creative flair. And that kind of brings us into this, this first question, which is what's the purpose of life? Mm-hmm. And you know, I like to talk about what's the, what's the purpose of life on a grand scale, but also with your specific purpose, right? Like this is kind of a journey of trying to figure out who you are in this lifetime and what wants to be expressed through you. And, you know, the intelligence of your body breaking down when you started going down this path and you're like, okay, a lot of people look at that kind of stuff and it's like, well, they start like, why is this happening to me? Mm-hmm. Right. And it's changing that perspective of, oh, this is happening for me because it's guiding me towards what I'm really meant to do. And I think that's really a struggle for a lot of people. So through that journey and now where you're at now, how have you found and what would you kind of describe as like your purpose and the grander purpose of mm-hmm. what that means and why we're here? Mm-hmm. So the... It's interesting that you brought up the life happens to me, life happens for me thing, because I think that for me, the purpose in life is actually found in the third way. And um, I love the life happens for me thing because that allows you to claim ownership and like take your power back from a situation. Um, But there's still this element in there of, well, it did happen to me and now I'm going to own it. You know, so there's still this element of like getting the shit kicked out of you by life and then like rising to the occasion, which I think is a beautiful thing. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that people stop doing that, you know, just because there is a third way doesn't mean that like that's wrong, you know, but I do see, I do see a flaw in that. And the third way that I really love is life happens through me. Mm. And it's a completely different reframe on it because it, it completely takes the victimhood out of it whatsoever. I think in the life happens for me, there's still a little, a little bit, it's way, way, way less than like, oh, this is bullshit, man. Like I can't get a break. Like I'm just, what, what's happening right now? Like, why is all this stuff being thrown at me? And, you know, taking ownership of that is incredible. Um, but I think if you really connected to like why you're here and what's going on in your life and how all of this unfolds and you are really surrendering to this path in front of you and really surrendering to like 
the dance that wants to be done through your meat suit, there's no more of that. It's like, of course, this is happening for me. Like, of course, this is all these things are coming in and this is a, this is a challenge and this is a revelation and this is, you know, growth and healing and all this stuff comes to you. And if you're really walking that path, like that true path for yourself, I find that all that stuff just becomes this like effortless dance, you know, you become the dance, right? You become the liver of the experience. Yeah. And so for myself, as far as like my purpose here is it's really hard to, it's really hard to take one idea and say, this is the thing that I'm here to do. Um, What I do know is that there is a note to be played and there is, there is a, a path to be walked and that's what I'm here to do. And the, the way that that relates to my purpose is like getting in touch with my intuitive side and the part of me that like really knows if something is in resonance, you know, if really knows that like this is the way to go so that I can be guided on that path and I spend as little time as possible in that confused, like what the fuck is going on kind of state where, you know, it's full victimhood and full, um, you know, like placing blame on everything and wanting to externalize everything. Um, The less time that I can spend on that part of life, the better. And the less time that I can spend on the, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to rise to the occasion. Like the more time that I can just be on the path and accept that whatever circumstances I have, like this is the dance that is, that is unfolding. And, um, but I think on a larger scale or like my personal purpose on a larger scale, other than to just do the dance, which is almost a cop out in a lot of ways, you know, to be like, Oh, I'm just here to do the dance. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, what's your fucking dance dude? Like, what is the, what is the thing? Um, I think, I think that a part of a, a large part of it is to undo the matrix in some way and maybe not undo it, but learn how to play it better than anyone else has ever played it and show other people and learn from other people, like really learn how to play the game and help undo the game for Mm. the world. And it could be worded strongly as breaking the matrix, you know, or unplugging it or something like that. But that would require like violent force to do that, you know, and that's obviously not, not why I'm here. Um, But I think that, I think what that means to me is really opening up to like, what is possible and how, like how to, because we were born, I don't think that we were all born into this weird technological landscape into this culture that like doesn't have an identity and we weren't born into it to leave it, you know, like we were born into it to change it and help it grow Mm. and transform. Love that. And so whatever my, I trust that whatever thing I'm guided to, to allow life to live through me and like really honor that, that Dharma, that that is something that undoes the, the matrix. And Mm. what I mean by matrix is like, is cultural conditioning, all of the programming that we're fed of like what, what life is. Cause it's not, 
if we're being honest, we could be very hyperbolic about this, but like we're, we're free range humans in a giant prison. Mm. If you don't take ownership for your life and if you don't allow your acorn to become what it's supposed to become, you're stuck in this thing and you could take, you know, the, a really beautiful approach and say, yeah, maybe I'm stuck in this thing circumstantially, but I'm not stuck in this thing in my head. You know, I'm not stuck in this thing in my heart. Like no matter what the external circumstances are, I can love it fully. Um, but I don't think many people in those positions have that awareness. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've been contemplating a lot recently about this idea of freedom. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because in our culture and society here in America, like people value their freedom. It's like one of the biggest values of this country. Mm -hmm. It's like, we're free. Like we don't want our freedom to be taken away, Mm -hmm. but so you're not even a little bit free. Yeah. Do you look out in the world? Like how free are you really? Mm-hmm. Like, have you really questioned where you're free? If you think you, I mean, you're, you've been programmed of what an idea of success looks like. Like mm-hmm. an example from this conversation is you thinking that what's best for you is the world's telling me I need to go play basketball. That's what I'm here to do. Look at my body, of course. And it's yeah. like this programming. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you decided to do that, you wouldn't be doing it because that's what the universe wants to experience through you. That's what you'd be doing through programming and conditioning and culture yeah. telling you what you need to do. And so continuing to question the stories of who we are, the systems that we we're born into and what the idea of even success, achievement, happiness, fulfillment even mm-hmm. means. And I don't think a lot of people really understand that. They look out of the world and they, you know, I really love what you said about the world, like what, what wants to happen through me. Mm. And I believe, you know, this whole purpose of life is like coming back to ourselves. And it's this idea of alignment, right? Like you're talking mm. about like when I'm in full alignment, I can feel when I'm out of alignment energetically. And it's like, mm. you know, life starts getting hard. And I'm like, why is this so challenging? Like, yep. maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing and coming back into alignment is when life starts flowing and happening through you. And I truly believe every single human has something within themselves that the universe or God or whatever word you want to use to describe it wants to experience through us. Mm. And the more we can drop into that and surrender into that and let it, let it happen. That's when we, life becomes magical. It's like this flow and you can definitely feel when you're in that flow. And when you get out of that flow and out of alignment, you can feel it pretty quickly as well. Mm. What are some tools? Like how do people, you know, you go from happening to me, happening for me, happening through me, like, people that might be listening, how do they go on that journey to find what that thing is that wants to be experienced through them? Well, what you just said made me think of this kind of revelation that I had recently. And, um, it was through watching this series of videos on a, a YouTube channel called like stories of old. It's an incredible YouTube channel. It's, uh, this guy goes into, you know, all these incredibly deep, like well thought out philosophical concepts about like what these pieces of art mean or what it, what it even means to live this type of life. And he did this like hour and a half, three part series on deconstructing why our culture is so obsessed with the monomyth, like the hero's journey Mm. and basically proves that um, we're not all supposed to be heroes and that's okay. And it, it, after watching the first two parts, I was like, damn, this dude's just crushing my whole life right now. And then constructing the stories. Yeah. And then you, yeah. And you, you go, you get to the end of it and you're like, okay, so it leaves you on a much, a much better note. You feel way more comfortable with it. 
And it's actually a huge relief, at least it was for me, where it's like, damn, I don't know if I'm supposed supposed to be a hero. Like maybe I can act heroically and have honor and dignity and, you know, put put something great out into the world. But to to put all this pressure on myself that I'm supposed to be the grand liberator of this this culture that we're in, like that's a lot. And mm. so I think that his point was that so many people crack under the pressure of trying to live this adventurous, exuberant, like delicious and expansive life. But that's not the, that's not the point. Like it's not the journey for everyone, right? And exactly. that's like the, the social media thing. It's like you, you compare yourself to someone that's like out on an adventure, experiencing all these things, doing yeah. what you think you want to do. And then you start going towards that because you're like, that seems fun. But yeah. is that really what wants to be experienced through you? Exactly. And the thing that you're seeing in those people is not even close to what their reality actually encapsulates. Like just because someone has this you know, this very beautiful shot that their boyfriend took on their phone of, you know, of him walking out onto the sunlit balcony and she's Mm -hmm. there in a a bikini looking out over some beautiful landscape in Bali or, you know, on the beach or something like that. And it's like, damn, they're really living, man. They're really out there doing the thing. Like, I want to be an influencer. I want to be a hero. Like, I want to do all of this stuff. And to take that pressure off of yourself and just be like, what what am I supposed to be? Like, and it doesn't, like, I think we're programmed to want magnificence mm. and I can attest to that. Like a part of my uh, journey with music is to go, is to surrender to whatever I'm supposed to be. Because a part of me, when I first started and found out that I was decent at it and that I could add a ton of room to grow and was impacting people emotionally with the early you know, my early works, I was like, damn, what is the ceiling on this thing? Like, how far could I possibly go? I was saying to myself, well, I came here to headline. I came here to like blow 10,000 people away at once, which is of course, like if that's where the journey goes, that's where the journey goes. Like that's incredible. And what an opportunity that is to change 10,000 people's lives all at once with the power of sound and lights Mm. and everybody getting together. But if that's not where it's going, like, I'm not going to hold that as some failure yeah, it's over like, myself, you know? You got to not attach to the outcome. Like yeah. you, you have that vision of that's what you want to create. But then there's this idea of surrendering into, I can't attach to that because if, if that's not what it wants to become. I got to yeah. surrender into what it was. And I, I truly believe, I mean, for me and my personal experience, I feel like the universe has something bigger planned for me than I can even imagine for myself. Mm-hmm. And it's like finding that balance between, okay, how do I visualize and set goals and work towards this idea of the future that I want to create for myself, but also surrendering and not attaching to that and knowing that, you know, if I can surrender into it, maybe I'm being called to do something completely different that's even wilder and, and, and more crazy adventure than I could even uh, pre- predict for myself. Yeah, but maybe you're being called to be a good father. Mm. You know what I mean? Maybe you're being called to just hold down the fort and create a strong family and be there for the people that matter, you know, mm. and it's not about you. It's about, it's about we, you know, like that, that's possible too with all these things. And so to really let go of the, the, the thing, like it, it could be that super adventurous, like you could be called in truth. And it really is the way that your acorn wants to grow to like some, 
Anthony Bourdain lifestyle where you're going all around the world. And that sounds yeah, fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it sounds incredible, um, but it might not. And yeah. so, you know, for anybody that's struggling to find their path, like it doesn't have to be magnificent. Like it will be magnificent if it's true. You know, mm. like there's like wisdom in, you know, er, like Ernest Hemingway's writing, you know, like the old man in the sea. It's like that story is magnificent and it's about an old man trying to catch a fish. <laughs> like it's that's and that's the brilliance of his perspective in life mm. is he he had this great perspective on writing where I forget the exact quote, but it's basically if you um you don't have to overcomplicate what you're saying. If it's true, then it's good. Like mm. if if the if the work and the words are true, if they have resonance, like in their core, then it's good. Like there's no, you don't have to have these fancy soliloquies and all this, you know, these play like plays on word and and whatnot, that it can just be simple and true and honest. And that's what, that's what I think quite a lot, quite a larger percent of the world than they might be aware of. I think quite a large group of people are being called to that life and not this life of magnificence. And I can mm. see that in myself with, you know, the world that we thought existed crumbled this year. Like the idea for me, at least like finding music, the idea that I would be a concert performer that's gone. Like that I, like it's, it's gone for now and I'm certainly not going to get vaccinated in order to do that. So that's mm. like, you know, I, I see the, the trappings of that, that um, life and that pr pursuit and in a lot of ways, it's an ego desire. It's not a soul desire. Like, why would I want to headline a sold out club other than to like- Feel important, feel good. Exactly. Feel accomplished. Yeah. But yeah. what I've seen in sharing my music with people in intimate spaces and the, you know, the mixes and the journeys that I make and stuff is like, I can, I can blow 20 people out of their minds with this thing and they can weep and move their bodies and feel free and connected for, you know, an hour, an hour and a half, however long it goes. And that in like an honest and, you know, like um, humble way is better than being like, I fucking, I did it. Look at me. I did my names on the thing. And like, yeah. of course, that'd be an amazing experience. Like, I'm not going to pretend like I'm completely detached from that. But I know it's not the end all be all. Like we've watched, you know, um, for context, like the way that you and I met was through Aubrey Marcus's Fit for Service Mastermind. And what we've seen with him in particular, if we can take his story as a, an example, is that's a person that has basically accomplished every goal that he's ever set out to accomplish. He's fucked every hot girl. He's done every drug, every plant medicine, every transformative practice. He has an amazing house, the cars, all this stuff. And still there's this thing inside him that was like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. Why am I so miserable? Like, how is this possible? And that's, there's so much beauty in that story because we can see what a trap the matrix lays out for us. Yeah. And the trap is like, oh, we all have to be heroes. We all have to be ripped. We all have to be X, Y, and Z. And it's like, there's a note to be played in this world. And I can almost guarantee you that that, for people listening, that that's not your note. 
Yeah. Like your note is not to be an Instagram influencer. Your note is not to, you know, have this, um, this grandiose unfolding that at the end of it, you look back and you're like, damn, I really lived, you know? And but it can like, be grandiose if it's the thing that you're being called to do. Cause you're going to feel like so resonant with that thing. And the story that's coming to me is the, the story of the Bhagavad Gita, mm-hmm. which is, um, about living your Dharma and your purpose. Right. Yep. And it's King Arujna finds himself on this battlefield where he's in conflict with a lot of his family members, his cousins, his uncles over this property, this land, this kingdom. And they're both camps are getting ready to go to this epic war. And mm-hmm. he's about to go kill his family members and like go to war. And he stops in the middle of this field and his horse um, is Krishna, God, and kind of takes shape. And then they have this conversation. It's a really beautiful story because King Arujna confides in his horse and he's like, I'm damned if I do, I'm damned if I don't. If I go kill my family members, then I'm not going to be able to live with myself because I don't want to do this anymore. I don't feel called to do this anymore. He's like, what do I do? Because if I, you know, retreat now and I decide not to go to war, then all of my uh, members of my community and my, that were fighting for me, my warriors mm-hmm. are not going to look at me the same. They're going to lose respect for me. So he's like, I'm in this lose-lose situation. And it's a really beautiful story because in that moment, uh, Krishna tells him it doesn't matter because this is what you're here to do. Mm-hmm. So go to battle because that's what you're here to do. Mm-hmm. And it, it unfolds in this really beautiful way. And it, it takes away all the pressure of like this outcome of like what is going to happen, mm-hmm. but it's just being completely aligned with what I'm supposed to be doing in this moment. Yeah, And it really takes, you know, discipline to find stillness and instill practices to, because we live in such a world with so much distraction social media, all the different t- types of content coming at us, all the programming, what we think we need to become. And it's really about working and finding stillness and getting out of our minds and the stories that our minds creates and dropping mm-hmm. into our heart. And when you can drop into your heart and really find stillness, you can like ask yourself the intelligence that's in you, in your body, in your heart. Like, what am I supposed to be doing in this moment? Like, mm-hmm. how can I be of service was a big thing I asked myself. Like, how can I be of service to the world? And then all of a sudden, like the world started coming to me in this like mm-hmm. magical way. And I felt like we talked about earlier, the world and the universe started to work through me. Yep. And it's a really, really beautiful thing. And, you know, that brings us to our next question of, of this idea of God or a greater intelligence or universe or whatever word you want to describe what this experience is. Mm-hmm. What are your beliefs around that and how have they evolved? I know you can look back now, like, circling back to the story of when you were younger and you see the music and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, that was obviously a part of my journey. And it was like the universe giving me these kind of hints. Mm-hmm. Like what is that grander intelligence and, and what's your idea of God? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost impossible to put in words. And I really love that Carl Jung quote. That's like, uh, someone asked him, do you believe in God? And he said, no, I know God. And mm-hmm. it's like this, it's a, it's, of course it's ineffable, you know, and all of these symbol structures throughout all of time have tried to put words and metaphors and, you know, symbols and uh, stories to what God is and like, oh, you know, on the first day God created, let there be light, right? Or mm-hmm. There was, there was the word, I forget how um, Genesis starts, but it's to me almost certainly not a man in a robe, a bearded man in a robe that lives in the sky. Um, But to me, 
And this is a hard question because actually over the past two weeks, I've really confronted what my belief system was. And I actually had some severe moments of doubt that I was on the wrong path, you know, and that's um, kind of the, how would I, how would I put this? So the, the Christian or like the desert religion uh, perspective, which is that the world is all there is and we were created for a purpose and everything else is a lie. Like that is, that really came into my belief system as like, holy shit, like was Jesus real? Do I have to become a Christian? Like what is the, oh no, like this is really starting to to fuck with me. And um, because the previously it was a very easy um, cut and dry, like new age belief, which is like, you know, God is out there and God is within me and we're all one and all, all this stuff. And I feel like my current perspective is that both of those have truth in there. So I think the part that the new age belief system about God is missing is the like reverence and humility towards the grand intelligence, you know, where a lot of it is, I am the manifester. I am the one like it's, it's all pointing inward, which like I agree with, but you're missing this core component where it's like you, and it's going back to the acorn thing and the dance that you're being called to do. If you don't bow with humility to that thing, like what, what else are you doing? You know, if there isn't that, that respect and reverence for, you know, the, the, the creator, like whether or not, whether or not it was a code in the universe set in motion by the big bang, or we were meticulously created by, you know, this sentient being that created us. I think both deserve reverence, like whatever that divine spark is like that deep, deep, deep thing that both of those things deserve reverence for how impeccable and, and spectacular they are. And so you could, God into nature and experience God. You could look into your friend's eyes and experience God. Like it's, I, I love that phrase, all is of or nothing is, mm. you know, like that there's, there's no escaping it. And it's all about, it's all about the energy and your ability to surrender to it and not have so much attachment and resistance to certain things. And, um, but what's really interesting, and this is just an idea about what, God really is that really fascinates me as of late is that um, the Old Testament God, the God that all of the desert religions worship is, this is a Gnostic belief that (laughs) this cracks me up to even talk about, but it's really, it's really cool Um, that that God, why would there, if there was a supreme all-knowing being, why would it ever create the material world? Like, why would it ever want to make something like this unless it itself was flawed? And so Mm. that's the idea uh, that the Gnostics came to where they're like, actually, the Old Testament God is this lesser being in the cosmos or in like the pantheon of energies that we would consider gods. And it was created by this divine feminine, like archetypical uh, mother figure called Sophia. And Sophia was, so if you took the divine formless 
you know, unicity of light. That's called the pleroma. And that's basically, that's what we refer to as source. And from that sprang the first divisions into duality um, of the feminine and masculine forces. And this feminine force named Sophia um, decided that she wanted to create something. She wanted to bring something into being. And she didn't ask the masculine pole for um, his consent in that, or like that if it was in accord with where they were, because it was generally like, I mean, it's impossible to describe what that would be like to yeah. me, you know. In the, our linear thinking minds, it's exactly. incomprehensible. Yeah, this formless. It like there wasn't like consent or there wasn't like co-creation. It was like she went out on her yeah. own. Yeah, so she went out and she created this thing and it was hideous to her and she hated it and was like, what the fuck have I done? And she created this being that had a part of her within it. And she was so shocked and appalled by what she created that she she formed a cloud, like a fog around him in the cosmos. And so he believed that he was the only God. He had no knowledge of the Pleroma or of Sophia or, you know, the masculine force whose name is escaping me right now. Um, and that thing is called the Demiurge. And since it believed that it was the only thing and it felt that divine spark within itself that it could create, it created the material world. It created the whole universe and therefore earth. And it's funny because it gets into, um, it gets into human beings being fundamentally flawed. Like I know on some level we're perfect because there's no other way to look at it other than such a paradox. Exactly. But, um, because we're limited and we're temporal beings that we're fundamentally flawed. And that's what the Bible is pointing to that. Like, that's the devil, right? Mm. That like, we're, you know, stuck in matter and we have these evolutionary urges and these tribal urges that that's the flaw. And so being created in God's image, like we're getting his discarded mommy issues in, (laughs) in our, our being, right? If that's the story that you follow. That's interesting. Yeah. And it really like cracks me up to think about it where I'm like, hold on, is there, are there like billions of people on earth worshiping this like lesser God, you know, and not like, I think that's what the new age movement is attempting to connect to, but just not in the same language that the real God, like the real force of life and all creation is so far beyond what we've conceptualized as like, Zeus and Yahweh and Krishna and stuff that it's so far beyond, like way, way, way higher on the, um, you know, the, the hierarchy of, of beings. Like even the God that is the the source, like everybody, everything that all of our religions and belief systems are pointing to yeah. is still just a lesser entity of no telling how many more levels of mm-hmm. God or source are leading into that thing, which is creating us. Exactly. So it's like the story and um, which is really cool is that the snake in the garden of Eden is actually a messenger from Sophia to get the living beings out of the game because she knows that the game is flawed and it's infinite. So we're going to be on this wheel forever unless we recognize what we truly are. And so part of the code of creation is that we have a piece of her within us. And that's, that's what all of these movements are attempting to recognize is like, there's a part of that deep, 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 way, way, way out there, like 
so far beyond what we can conceptualize of that divinity is within every living creature, every piece of this dance, it's all there. And um, that snake in the Garden of Eden, this Lucifer, the you know deceiver and so forth, is actually a messenger because that moment sprung um, the chain of events that would lead to humans being, you know, awakened and, and self, um, self-referential and aware of their flaws and their situations and their violent tendencies. And like, how does this all fit together? And it's interesting that it's a snake symbol. And, um, then we know now about the, the Kundalini serpent of energy. Mm. And so, Maybe yeah, the snake is so demonized in the Christian culture, but it might be the symbol that is life and rebirth mm-hmm. and the actual gift from God, not Satan. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of wisdom in the idea of what the snake represents, that it's almost always a figure of the underworld and mm-hmm. a figure of like shadow work. And that that's actually like our path to salvation is to understand our shadows and release and transmute and heal those things and heal generational trauma and heal all of this, you know, kind of tribal and, and, and violent and, and dismissive and apathetic, like all these, all these things, like all the abuse, all the pain and suffering, like all this stuff that keeps us stuck here. Mm. Cause that's essentially what it is. Like you can love this whole dance for everything that it is. And like really, take a step back and take that, you know, almost Ram Dass perspective and, and really love exactly what's going on here and, and not be afraid to be stuck in it, which is a story that I'm doing, undoing within myself because a big part of me is like, holy shit, I'm in a meat suit. Like, this is kind of fucked up. Like, Mm. I, I don't know if I asked to be here, if I really wanted to be here and it's, it's confusing and, and disorienting at times, but the, um, the thing that keeps you coming back is the inability to heal and the mm. inability to transcend the limitations of the meat suit and of the mind and of, of the stories of culture. Yeah, yeah. I think that's like the, the, I think it's the Zen Buddhist. It might not be, but I think so. But their, their kind of belief structure is revolved around until you can, like in order to transcend the death rebirth cycle of reincarnation, you have to basically let go of all attachment, all earthly mm-hmm. attachment, and you can transcend into whatever the next life is. But until then, it's a very similar kind of angle in the story you're talking about. Like we're become, we, we become so addicted and attached to the material world that we're going to keep having rebirths and our energy is going to keep coming back here mm-hmm. until we can fully transcend and let go of these things that are keeping us in this dense kind of vibration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things like, that what I've had to come to terms with, with my path is I don't know if this is the incarnation where I escape, you know, Mm. like, I don't know. I really, how would I, how would I ever know? And am I going to become like an ascetic monk and renounce everything and like leave everything behind and be like, ah, I'm not going to have kids. I'm not going to have this career, any possessions because I need to get out of this fucking game as fast as possible. Like I know that that's not the way. Yeah. I mean, I like the story of like the Bodhisattva path, right? Where like, until all of humanity can transcend, we're going to keep coming back Mm -hmm. and showing up to try and help other people wake up. And that's where this really deep calling to be of service to others 
is because I'm going to keep deciding, even though I might be awake and be transcending and not attached. Like I'm going to keep coming back because I have so much love for humanity that Mm -hmm. I know it's not going to be worth me transcending to the next level awareness until every living Mm -hmm. sentient being does the same. And so we just keep coming back. And I I like that story because then it gives us purpose, right? Yeah. It gives you agency Mm -hmm. in this horrifyingly, seemingly meaningless like soup that we're in, you know, where we're creating our own meaning and you can Mm -hmm. get like, I understand nihilistic people and like nihilistic philosophers or, you know, absurdists or whatever that just take a step back and they're like, what the fuck What's is the point? this? What is this? Like, what, what are, what is even happening right now? And some people go as far as to say that all of human culture and all of our behaviors and everything that we do is because we're aware that we're immortal and we're afraid to die. And mm. so we create, it's like, why else would you have a football game or something? Or yeah. why else would you have like a barbecue Unless you were like, ah, please, everyone get around me and let's do something that's other than like, look at my, my, my limitations and my, Mm. you know, like we create these elaborate stories to give meaning to our lives. And I think most religious beliefs, definitely the Christian belief, I think one of the big things that they use to kind of control the narrative of that story is the fear of death. Yeah. You know, I think that's a lot of things. It's like this fear of death. mm -hmm. So what that leads us to our last question. Like, what do you think happens when we die? Mm. Like, cause it is this, this, it's this almost, it's like the final unknown. Yeah. And I think even going through this whole experience of the lockdown and what, what the world's going through, it's been this real lesson in, in impermanence. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people think about death enough, but when you do, it's like, okay, what does happen? And I think the finality of this life but is there something where we go to? I mean, I, when I was younger, I'd always sit there and think like just darkness, blackness. Like uh-huh. what happens when I die? Black? And that, that was like kind of the same thing of like living. It's like, well, is this meaningless? Like what's yeah. the point? But there's got to be something more. And through some like deeper psychedelic work from my experience, I've actually understood the energy of it all. And there is something inside of us that does mm-hmm. transcend. But what do you believe happens when we die? The only experience I can reference was doing um, five meo DMT, mm. doing doing Speak bufo on it. Yeah, yeah. Is uh, it felt like that was showing me like in the with the limitations of my sensory body, it was showing me what it was like to die. And of course, like I know it's nothing even close to that transcendent release into a new thing, which. I would be very surprised to learn that it's just blackness and it's over and you're just dead like a bird. It was just like, like just meaningless, like the whole thing. Um, I'd be very surprised to learn that. And what, what it feels like to me is that there is some sort of transition. And, um, you know, I've always loved Ram Dass's perspective. It's like, it's like taking off a tight shoe. Like it's this release from Mm. this, this, contained limited body into this fully unlimited place. The part that I don't, and maybe this is just where I'm at on my spiritual journey. Maybe I just haven't accepted, you know, that everything truly is okay, you know, and it's, it's hard for me to release that, that attachment and just be like, Nope, I'm just a passive observer and I'm just here. I'm loving awareness and there's no, um, there's no urgency on what we're trying to do and how we're trying to heal and, and unite people and 
you know, come to a, just at least understanding with each other. It's hard for me to like, let all of that go. And that could just be my own limitations and my ability to be, you know, a, a spiritual being. Um, but I, I do believe that when you die, there is some like judgment in a way. And it's mm. not coming from this, like, you know, this like, Christian, the God up in the sky in the robe. This, yeah. Going, mm, I don't know about this shit. What like, about yeah, this, that you, you did this, you did this, you did this. Yeah. I don't think it's a harsh, like critical judgment, but it's more so of a, like an energetic consideration. You know, it's more, it's more aligned with, uh, you know, the Egyptian idea that when you die, you meet Anubis and he weighs your heart on a scale, uh, uh, opposite a feather. And that if your heart is heavier than a feather, you go back. And mm. that the way to transcend is to live a noble and and loving and and free, like a uh, a life without possession and a life without resentment and guilt and all these. And really, like things. these are all internal stories too. Like this is something that only you know yeah. if you lived the life, lived your dharma, lived in the best way you possibly could. And maybe mm-hmm. that judgment is from yourself. Yeah. Like when you die, the judgment is yourself and you kind of look directly in the mirror and it's like, whoa, did I live the life that I was meant to be? Mm-hmm. No, I still have more to learn. Boom, go back in yeah. under your own free will maybe. Yeah, potentially. But like I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. It's very, it's very hard for me to speculate on those things, but I do, what you just said reminded me of uh, something a friend of mine said. We were watching um, that Chicago Bulls documentary thing yeah, uh, the Michael last Jordan. dance yeah, yeah about that whole thing and he he there was an episode about phil jackson and just like what a dope human being he was yeah and his comment about phil jackson was that dude looks like he has he carries himself with the confidence that he he would say i know when i die i'm gonna look my god in the eyes and say that i was honest and I was mm. like, oh, that's, damn, that that's is powerful. Yeah, I love that phrase. Like, I'm going to look my God in the eyes and say I was honest. Like, that That sums up. I just got goosebumps. I'm vibrating right now. Yeah, it was Eric. Of, of, of course, course it was Eric, yeah. Shout out to Eric Godsey. <laughs> yeah. And um, it, like, that that idea has really stuck with me since he said it. And I knew that it was a part of it. It's like, of course you want to be a good person and you want to, you want to not cause suffering in the world. And you but want who to, are you doing it for, right? Yeah. And it's, it's tough to know because mm. we're like, we're talking about with the culture that we're born into. We don't have a God. Like we don't have a thing, you know, there's not like we could call it the old Testament God, or you could be like, oh, I'm a Buddhist now. And I believe this thing, or, you know, I actually, um, became pagan and I worshiped the sun and the moon and the seasons. And like, that's beautiful. Like there's all these ways you can devote yourself to the all, but there's not this thing. And so of course, so many people have turned inwards and like Eric's work is all about the daemon, right? It's all about the thing that's pulling you uh, through your life. That's whispering like where to go. And it's the thing that summons resistance and it's the thing that summons blessing and synchronicity. And it's like how you really align with yourself. And so if that is your God, like your higher self or like your potential, um, at the end of your life, like you will be, you will be judged or at least considered by that thing. And Mm. it might not be this, like, how fucking dare you, you didn't do X, Y, and Z. You're going back there. You're doing this again. It might just be like a very light, consideration 
and moment of like recognition. Like, where, was I in my truth? Yeah. And you just go, oh, it's like, I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed. No, not even <laughs> disappointed. It's like, you didn't get it. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. Boop. And Keep you just, going. yeah. And it's like, it, I don't, I don't think it has, because we so often project human emotions and desires and so forth on these things larger than ourselves. Yeah, like the like best, good and bad. Yeah. The best Evil. example is Satan. Yeah. What makes you think that if Satan is the archetypal force of resistance, the grand adversary of this world that keeps people um, obsessed with flesh and money and fame and all this stuff, what makes you think that that thing has human emotions or desires? Like that it's just, it's like, yes, of course I want this because it's like, it feels to me that those archetypes like that exist within us, like it plays, it plays out in a way beyond our words. And so to attribute any human emotions or desires or anything like that onto any supreme being or my higher self or whatever it is, like that's impossible. It's Mm. like saying that a tree wants to tree, the tree just trees. Like there's no, there's no other way of describing that. And so that's going back to how do you find purpose? It's like, what does the Wyatt want to do? Like, how does Wyatt Wyatt the best? Yes. How does Wyatt Wyatt? Yeah. Becoming the dance. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of wisdom in that because like, I, I thought for a long time, like we were talking about with the hero stuff before, I thought for a long time that I was going to be this like noble, pure, like hyper spiritual person, you know, that I was really going to carry myself with like stillness and just be like, Hey brother, how you doing? You know? And of course, like that's recognizing my, the own, my own, um, room to grow and how, how far I can go and how, how much more composed I can become and stuff. But the realization that I've had right now is like, there's a lot of chaotic, confused, angry, you know, explosive energy within me. And I'm going to channel that into the things that I do. And so that's why my music is loud and ridiculous and it hits you like super hard and it's meant to like shake things up a little mm. bit. So that's why it wieting the best way he knows how right now. Like would I love to become some beautiful shamanic musical channeler at some point, like something like Parangi or, you know, someone who can sing really eloquently and like heal people with the sound of their voice. Like, of course, that's not where I'm at right now. But then that's even, even thinking that is projecting into the future and that's not Wyatting, Wyatting right now. Exactly. So it's like really letting go and being like, Wyatt, Wyatting right now wants to scream at people and clap and jump around and be like, what the fuck are we doing guys? Like, this is nuts. Like we're just digging ourselves into this hole and if I can help, you know, facilitate the undoing of this matrix and be of service to that God, whatever that God is that we're talking about by playing that note, which at the moment is kind of crazy to think that that's the thing that I, I'm called to do right now, then that's beautiful. You know, mm. so that's like really owning it. A great example of that is the Joker. Like it's very clear with the motifs of that movie have you seen it? Uh, yeah. With Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. It's very clear with like the motifs of that movie that like, that's the note he's supposed to play. Mm. Like, and you can tell, like, I feel like I'm just quoting Eric this whole time, but we watched, we watched that together. And, um, 
he paused the movie and was like, did you see that? Did you see what just happened? He just murdered his first people. He just expressed himself in his, his Dharma for the first time. And what did he do? He went and found a place by himself and he started dancing. He goes into this bathroom and he starts dancing and he's like, that's his acorn acorning. And I was like, holy shit, that is so... And we're the ones as humans that label good and bad, right? Exactly. Right and wrong. Yeah. And it's back to that story of the Bhagavad Gita. It's like, it doesn't, you're the one that's, that's, has the resistance to what the outcome means. Yeah. But do what you're supposed to do. And that's, you know, hopefully people take that with, that's a cautionary tale. Yeah, don't in go a lot of ways. on a murder spree. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, this is the note that wants to be played. That's what they told me. And of course, like, you know, I trust that. I trust that right now the note that most people want to play is is one of compassion, mm-hmm. is one of building a potential paradise in this like hellscape that we found ourselves in, you know, which which we've seen like with the nearly insurmountable odds that we've been dealt as a society with like the proliferation of technocracy and like our rights and our privacy being taken away and now being forced into house arrest and the potential for mandatory vaccinations and all these fear, all these horror stories that we're being told. It's like, why would you do anything? Like, why, why wouldn't, why don't we all just give up and just say, mm. fuck it and just throw in the towel. And I really feel like it's about, it's about building your own personal utopia, yeah. you know, like your own paradise amongst this this insanity that yeah. that's going on. What a on. beautiful opportunity, right? Because without that amount of fear and suffering and resistance in the world, there would be nothing to work towards. There yeah. would be no experience to transcend it. There'd be no experience to be compassionate or come back to love if there mm-hmm. wasn't something to be compassionate about. Yeah. So it's we a, need that to have the experience of transcending it. Of course. And check this out. This is a thing that I've it's, it's hard whenever you like, especially as a person that's limited and has grievances and resentment and stuff, the place I've been trying to get to when it comes to like the world leaders and the wizard behind the curtain that's pulling the strings and stuff like that is by being like, thanks for playing this note. Like, thanks for doing your part because there's no way that anybody would get on this program without that. Mm. Like there's, we didn't, everything was so comfortable and so safe for so many of us. And then all of a sudden it wasn't. And it's like, now what are we going to do? Are we going to fight tooth and nail to go back to the shit that we know for a fact doesn't work? Or do we use this as an opportunity to like come together and make this thing happen? And that resistance, like that necessary resistance of having, like, it's so clear, like how, like, I can't even get mad at these like politicians and stuff anymore because I look at them and I'm like, they really think this is like, they're not, (laughs) they're not out there like plotting in a room being like, Hey, these, uh, these fucks are going to (laughs) get, we got them now. We're going to get them. It's just, they like, they're, they're, they're living their story. Yeah. They're acorning, like they're doing their thing and they're creating the, the opportunity for us. And all we can do is really come back. And when we see it in that, that lens, it's like, oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank and of you. course, it's a tough thank you. Like, I'll, I'll admit, I'm not like psyched to be like, you know what, Nancy Pelosi, thank you for being just such a, a horrible example of how to be in the world. But 
I think it's necessary, especially when you really start to confront like what evil is and what like the devil is and how that exists within us and the cosmos as a whole. It's like, if you were to attribute human emotions and and motivations to this force, it would be something that's like, hey, I have to be here because I love you so much. And this is the only thing that's going to motivate you to grow. Mm. Like there's, if everything was perfect, if it truly was a utopia, like there's no yearning for better. There's no Mm. like progress and healing. So, you know, there's a great quote that's something along the lines of uh, Lucifer was the angel with so much love in his heart for humanity that he chose to hold the pole opposite of Christ for the betterment of humankind. God, I love that. It's, it's great. Like I know that there's some people out there that are like, that's wishful thinking, bro. That thing wants to kill you. And it's like, cool. It can only kill me if I submit to it. Right. It's the only, Mm. it can only kill me if I go, ah, well, darkness is too much. Fuck. And then you get crumbled by it. It's like darkness requires your consent to, you know, to have control over you and to, and to not be uh, a thing that's happening for you. Right. And something that can propel you into a place of growth. And so, yeah, I guess that's, that's what happens when you die. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful, man. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time and your insights and your stories and you showing up. You're definitely an inspiration to me. And I'm really glad that we've connected over the last couple of years. And likewise, we get to go on this journey together and and help be of service to, to humanity in a big way. If that's what we're called to do. Yeah. Yeah. If that's how the acorn wants to grow, I'm, I'm pretty stoked about this, this tree that we're growing into. I love it, man. Where can people find you if they're interested in, in your music or want to connect with you? Um, so I'm on Spotify and SoundCloud as the artist name, the artist formerly known as Prince. Now it's, uh, <laughs> it's just like you imagined. And you can find that um, on, yeah, on Spotify and SoundCloud. And then if you want to connect on Instagram, my handle is I am just like you imagined and uh, just like you imagined on its own was taken and it's by an account that has zero followers and zero posts. So I'm never going to get that there. I know somebody you I know. might be able to. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what Instagram where they're headed. So maybe not anymore, but yeah. I used to have a guy. So I they could, could, they could sneak a, do a switch. Okay. Uh, that would be cool. Um, but for now that's the dance and I have my, my first major release coming out very soon. So that's exciting. Yeah. You got some dope music. What's the, what's the name of that song you just came out with? That's so killer. Uh, take your power back. Take with, your power back. With, uh, Wim Hof in it. Yeah. And one, Aubrey in there playing the he, flute. Yeah. He was playing the flute in that. Oh man. It hits so hard. It does. And I, um, I just, uh, mixed it again and I'm sending. Remastered already? Yeah. So it, I, I realized there were some flaws with the original mix. Certain things didn't pop and like some, there's some muddy frequencies and I kept having these like aha moments of like, oh shit, that's how you make, oh my God. Oh my God. And like, it just kept going over and over and like these concepts started clicking. Um, yeah. So it sounds like really fucking good now. And so then it'll, it'll get its proper release onto Spotify because no one uses SoundCloud. So they just kind of sit there for the most part. So um, when's it get released? Um, that's hard to say. Yeah. But I was going to say, when yeah. it gets released, I'll put it in the links to this podcast. I would love that. So yeah. people can check it out. You can just put the Spotify in there and they'll okay. they'll see it when it comes out. Cool. Um, but yeah, 
they're not, the tracks aren't back from the mastering engineer yet. And I'm considering adding one more before it's good to go. But that might actually be a force of resistance being like, no, it's not perfect. Don't release it yet. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. All that damn resistance. Yep. Yeah. All right, brother. Yeah. All that will be in the show notes. You guys go check out Wyatt and I know he'd love to hear from you. And I really appreciate you, brother. Yeah. Thank you, man. All right. Huge thank you to Wyatt for coming on the show. Uh, he's amazing, amazing energy. He's like 6'10". He's really got this really, really strong presence about him. Uh, and he's really wise. And I'm really stoked to be on his journey through life with him. He lives here in Austin. So uh, we get to spend quite a bit of time together. Um, go check out his music. Go check out his Instagram. Go reach out to him. I know he'd love to hear from you and hear how, what you think of his music. Um, yeah. And uh, really stoked. Let me know if you guys would want him on again to dive deeper into some of these concepts. I know we kind of talked a little bit about a lot of things, uh, but he has a lot of depth to him as well. And we can dive into any kind of conversations. I'd love to hear from you as well. You can reach out to me at, at joe.holly on Instagram. Uh, check out my website, joe-holly.com. Um, and if you really enjoyed this podcast, please, please, once again, share it with your friends, leave a review, rate it if you can. And uh, yeah, share it with as many people as you can, trying to grow this audience, trying to reach the world, make an impact in my own way. And uh, for those of you that have been listening since the beginning, uh, you know that this thing is continues to evolve. And um, I'm so grateful for all your support. And I feel like we're just getting started. We're going to do this together. Let's make the world a better place. Till next time.